If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like for you to go with me to the book of Isaiah, the 40th chapter. How many are excited about receiving the Word of God this morning? How many knows that God has something for you today? And this is probably the only place at this particular time in your life that you could receive it. For a few minutes this morning, I would like to talk about what we sang about and what we live, and that is the greatness and the awesomeness of God. A lot of times we take a lot of things for granted, not realizing all the factors involved for us simply to be here. Right now, you're traveling at 60,000 miles an hour around the sun. He's a God of motion. He's a God of activity. He's also the God of the pause, the God of Selah, the God that is there with us. And so this morning, I am going to attempt for just a few minutes to explain to you or describe to you or reiterate to you how big is God, how awesome is God. And uh, when I think about how big is God, how awesome is God, because we have never seen God and we've never seen his throne and we really don't have a, a grasp on what he looks like. We know that we were made in the image of God. So God probably looks a lot like us or we look a lot like God. And so when you try to think about fathom God on a postcard or God a picture in your wallet or we, we don't really have a, a picture of God. We really don't know what God looks like. So this morning using logic comparison, I'm going to try to explain to you how awesome our Heavenly Father really is and logic comparison simply means that we're going to take two or three things and we're going to compare them with each other to kind of give you a visual on the greatness of God it would be like if I were to declare this morning and probably get in trouble but if I were to declare this morning that the Georgia Bulldogs is probably a better football team than Alabama Crimson Tide I would probably get a few eyebrows I'm not sure if I said the Tennessee Volunteers were better than the Georgia Bulldogs, I know I would get some kind of response in this building because we can compare We can compare two football teams. We can care, compare two quarterbacks, two linebackers, and by judging the stats and all that they accomplished in the season, you can determine which one is greater. So this morning, by logic comparison, I want to explain to you or show you this morning a picture of God. If I were this morning to talk to you about the Sphinx, if you've never been to Cairo, Egypt, I've been twice. If you've never been to Cairo, Egypt, and you've never witnessed the pyramids, which are phenomenal, and there in the shadow of the pyramid is the Sphinx. If you've never seen the Sphinx, it might be hard to grasp what the Sphinx is about. But if I were to tell you that the Sphinx has the body the size of Walmart and has a a face that looks like a man with a crown, with the pharaoh crown, then you can kind of, in your, in your mind, kind of get a picture of what a sphinx looks like. So this morning, by comparing some things, let's see if we can see what God looks like. And Chris, when I think about greatness and I think about comparison, I think about Albert Einstein because you too have proved his theory this week. Albert Einstein was a genius. His IQ was literally out of the box and he was the guy that said energy equals mass times the constant of the square of the speed of light. That's what energy equals. And when you look at that theorem, here's what he actually declares. He declares you can go so fast 
that literally you can go so fast that you can go back in time and you can relive that day. You say, that is impossible. Uh, Chris and Susan left here in the evening. Atlanta headed to California. They left here probably five or six. They probably got in California five or six. I left Hong Kong on a Friday night, flew all night long, and then got to Honolulu, Hawaii early Friday morning. So literally went so fast that actually I caught up with time and I surpassed time and I went faster really than what probably Einstein had had calculated or had determined. When Mrs. Einstein was asked the question, do you understand the subject of relativity? She said, no, I simply keep his coffee warm. How many, how many can relate to that? That would kind of be my role. So when I, when I, but when I think about comparing Einstein to God, and, and Einstein talks of time travel, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's already lived our past and forgiven us. He's already lived our, our future and blessed, and he's with us in the here and now. So Einstein probably is not all that good of an example. But we're going to have some fun this morning. When I think of the greatness of God, I think of a man by the name of Winston Churchill. When Germany was bombing London, England, and the country was in disarray, every afternoon at a certain time, Winston Churchill's voice would come over the radio, and he would encourage London. He would encourage England. He would encourage Great Britain. He would let us know. He would let them know where we where they were in the battle, and, and Germany almost devastated many cities. And England, but he was that voice that brought peace and brought calm. He was quite a character. In one particular scenario, Winston Churchill would go to uh, house meetings, speaker of the house meetings, and at one particular speaker of the house meeting, he made the statement that so-and-so, one of the constituents, didn't have the brains of a flea. Well, immediately he got called on the carpet. You know how politicians roll. And he was confronted, and he was asked to apologize the next day to the entire Senate to that one individual that he critiqued. And that day, Senate was full to capacity. Everyone wanted to see the great Winston Churchill uh, uh, limited or, or, or what am I looking for? Lord, I guess, a little bit, confronted, instructed, disciplined, I guess is the word. So it was full. So Churchill went up, took the mic, and he said, yesterday I said that this certain member of parliament doesn't have the brains of a fleet. I have since learned they do have the brains of a flea. And, you know, you think about stuff like that and say, well, I wish I would have thought of that. He was at a party and had a little bit too much to drink, and he was being obnoxious, and there was another member of, of the parliament, a woman, and said, sir, said, you're drunk and you're obnoxious. And he said, madam, that's true, but you're ugly. And in the morning, I'll be sober, but you'll still be ugly. <laughs> And you think about you think about that statesman that this but again, comparing comparing Churchill to God, Churchill is a statement, but when God spoke, he spoke the worlds into existence. So this morning realize that we are limited in our comparisons. I think of Gandhi, I think of Abraham Lincoln, I think of Louis Pasteur created pollinization. I think of George Washington and George Washington Carver, over a hundred uses of the peanut. I think about Thomas Edison that gave us electricity. But when you think of all these men and try to compare them to God, we are embarrassed because none of them measure up, none of them meet up, none of them are parallel with our God. But this morning, God said, I will help you preach your sermon. And in Isaiah 40, if you'll notice verse 18, 
I want to share that with you. In verse 18, it says, To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? There is a reason today that we're sharing with you who God is and who God is equal to because every one of us in one area of our life or another are experiencing some mountains. Every one of us are experiencing some challenges. Every one of us are experiencing some frustrations. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, it's always easier to pray for someone else. You ever notice that? But when you go to pray for yourself, it becomes difficult and so this morning, as we face these challenges and these mountains in life, we, can't, we, cannot, we cannot choose to believe that our mountain is bigger than God. It is not. Our God is bigger than our mountain, and that's why we're determining this morning how big God really is. So we can't do it on our own. So if you'll look at verse 12 with me, it says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare him to? And I want to bring attention, if I may, to verse, let me go back to 12, verse 12, I'm sorry. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heavens with a span, calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighs the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him, with whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him the path of justice, who taught him knowledge. Where did God learn all this? Where did God comprehend all that? Where did God, and if we look at man, it's like comparing an ant to a dinosaur or a candle to the sun. So we are in trouble. But God talks about this earth. In Isaiah 66 and 1, God declares, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the place of rest that you build for me? In other words, God is asking, what contractor, what developer could we possibly summon to build a place for God to live? He said the heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Imagine a land of giants. Imagine a giant so large, Richard, that if he were to put his foot on the United States, it would cover South America, North America, Canada, most of the Pacific, a lot of the Atlantic, that just his foot would cover because he says the earth is my footstool. The question is asked, who hath measured the waters in the palm of his hand? When I think about the waters, I think about the Atlantic Ocean. I think of the Pacific Ocean. I think about the Mediterranean Sea, the Black Sea, the Indian Sea, all the, all the waters of the world. Uh, several years ago, we had a little puppy that would come into the bathroom while you were taking a bath, and he wanted to drink a water. And I remember if there wasn't a cup there by the, by the tub, I would take my hand and I would, and I would let him drink out of my hand. And my hand wouldn't even hold enough water to give him a good drink. I had to get two handfuls to satisfy him. But when I think about the question that God has asked, who has measured the waters? God said, you want to know how much the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Baltic Sea, all those waters, you know how much water that is? He said, it's this much. And he holds out the hollow of his hand. How scary. Do you know anybody else that can do that? The Bible says he measures heaven with a span. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. That means when you count to three, it's circled the 25,000 circumference of the earth 18 times. That's how fast. If you were to get aboard a spaceship and you were ahead through our galaxy and get to the end of our galaxy, you could not 
in 100,000 years traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. You could not in 100,000 years get to the end of our galaxy. That's how big the universe that we live in, that's how big that universe is. But God says, how, how big are the heavens? He talks about a span. Now, span in the Old Testament was about six inches. It was from the thumb to the largest finger. And if you were to ask me this morning how long, why this podium is, this part right here, I could tell you it's six plus six is plus six more, plus six more, 24. This pulpit was handmade for me just for my height and just for my, I guess, to hide my belly. But this is, this is 24 inches long. But if you were to ask me how far it is from here to Chicago, I am not going to get out on the interstate on my hands and knees and go six, 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 because Angel and Tatum are driving, and by the time I got to Chicago, Christine will be driving, and I am not going to risk my life on my hands and knees on the freeways of America. Do I have a friend in the house that can relate? But God said, you want to know how big your heaven is? He said, it's about this much. And he holds up his hand to show how big our heavens are. Do you know anybody else that can do that? It says that he weighs the mountains in a scale. When I think of mountains, I think about the Rockies. I think of the Smokies, the Appalachians, the Tetons. I think about uh, Mount Fuji, Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Hood, Mount Shasta, mountains in California. When I think of Mount Everest, the goddess of the earth, 29,070 feet, 1953 Sir Edmund Hillary and Sherbet Ensign climbed to the top of that mountain, stuck their flag in, one for the United States and one for Nepal. And I'm, I'm sorry, one for Great Britain and one for Nepal because Sherbet was a Nepali shepherd. And the world cheered because it was an incredible feat. It was an incredible accomplishment. But when you ask me how much all those mountains weigh, Jay, I cannot mentally, there's no way I can calculate how much the weight of those mountains are. But when you ask God, how much does the mountains of the world weigh? Here's what he does, Josh. He takes his hand, and he gets some dust, and he said it weighs about this much. The mountains of the world weigh about this much. How crazy, how scary is that? Verse 13 says, who educated God? What university did he attend? How, where did he get his degree, and how does he know everything? Who told God to put quinine in the bark of a tree? Who told God to tell the monarch butterfly, the fifth generation, to leave, leave Ohio and fly all the way back to Mexico and there lay eggs and, and, and hatch out? Who told God all of that? Who told the salmon to return up river? They are spawned, the eggs break, the fish birth, they, they swim into the ocean, and about five, depending what breed of what type of salmon it is, the king salmon, I'll use that one, every five years the king salmon will make its way in the ocean back to the very river which spit it out in the ocean. It will swim back upriver and sometimes within inches will lay their eggs where they were hatched and where they were spawned. Who told God to do that? Did you know that aerodynamically, and I got to witness this this morning and yesterday, both occurrences, do you know that it is aerodynamically and scientifically impossible, not just for the bumblebee, but for the hummingbird to fly? It's impossible the span of their wings, the weight of their body, the, 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 the ratio does not, does not figure out 
but they fly, and the reason they fly is because God told them to fly. God created them, and God sent them forth and spoke to them, and they do what God called them to do. It's exciting in times in our life when we actually hear what God has to say and we actually do what God tells us to do and reap the blessings and the favor that comes with honoring him and his greatness. The Canadian geese fly at 71 degrees, which is aerodynamically, they claim, the perfect angle for those L-1011s when they start cruising at 35,000 feet above sea level. They will maintain a degree of 71 inches, which is aerodynamically, again, the perfect angle to fly. Who told God to teach those geese to fly at that particular uh, elevation, that particular angle? How how exciting is that? Uh, Several years ago, probably about 35 years ago, they came up with this crazy bumper sticker idea. You ever see some of the stupidest things on, on bumper stickers? But the bumper sticker said, God is dead. And I think that was actually birthed in California, and it began to run rampant throughout the nation, throughout the world, and different ones begin to say, God is dead, there is, no, there is no God, God has died, and all of that. And so I have some questions for the agnostic and the atheist. Here's the questions I have. If God is dead, then who killed him? If God is dead, what disease did he die of? If God is dead, where is the coroner's report, and can I talk to the coroner that examined his body? If God is dead, where is the death certificate and the man that signed it? If God is dead, where are the pallbearers that carried his coffin? If God is dead, then where is his grave? Because if I'm his son, then I need to go to his grave. But more importantly, if God is dead, then why wasn't I notified? And if God is dead, then Who's this living in my heart? Who's walking with me and talking with me and telling me I am his own? And the joy we share as we tarry there, say it with me, none other can ever know. How incredible, how phenomenal. John 4 and 24 says that God is a spirit, and you can entertain and cast out, but you cannot kill a spirit. God is eternal. Before there was time, he was. After time is no more, he still will be. And that's what the word of God declares. Again, I don't know it came from California. I think it came from London. But there was a guy by the name of Charles Darwin, very early in his life, a lot of people don't know this, felt impressed to be a part of the Bible, the things of God. He chose rather to go in the area of a scientist. And he attempted to prove that we are here today because of the theory of evolution. And the theory of evolution basically is through osmosis and myotosis. The osmosis would be the moth going, the caterpillar going in the cocoon and coming out the butterfly. His theory declares that millions and millions and millions of years ago that there was a cell in the ocean that got burped up on the sand and it migrated with another cell and that cell migrated with another cell then all of a sudden we have trees and plants and birds and bees and all the things that we have because of the theory of evolution. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that I was not burped up on the beach. I'm not a cell that migrated into a California preacher. I am a, I am a child, but before I was in my mother's womb, God knit me together. Every word I'd ever speak, every song I'd ever sing, every sermon I'd ever preach, every life that I, everything that I would do, God knew it before I was even born. And when he saw it, he said it was good. Aren't you glad that God looked over you on the sixth day and said, what I have done is good. Look at somebody and say, you are good in the sight of God, in the things of God.
Well, the question was asked, and many of our science fiction thrillers have tried to determine where God lives and where did God come from. The Bible says in Habakkuk 3 and 3 that God came from Teman. The word Teman in the Hebrew means nowhere. It's a wilderness area. It means absolutely nowhere. So let's go with that for a minute. God came from Teman. So therefore, God would be the God of nowhere who stepped out on nothing, spoke to nothing, commanded to be something, flew it out in the universe and told the earth to stay there until further notice, and it does. The God from nowhere stepped out on nothing and again spoke to nothing and arranged clouds. He's beginning to prophesy over trees, over birds, over men, over life. God began to speak it and God began to declare it. His power is the power to speak the worlds into existence. His power is the power to raise up and tear down. His power is the power to make the crooked places straight. Aren't you glad this morning? His power is the power to make the heaven his throne and the earth is his footstool. His power is the power to hold the Atlantic in one hand, the Pacific Ocean in the other. His power is the power to create man of the dust of the earth. His power is the power to put a cross on Calvary and redeem the world. And his power is the power to raise his son from the dead. And his power is the power to come back and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain are going to be resurrected into the presence, transformed in to the, uh, the, the position of Christ and live with him forever. I like that theory better, hello, than the theory of being burped by the sea out on the sand and migrating into whatever I am. What a mighty God we serve. When I think about the earth, and it is, like I said, is 25,000 miles in, in circumference. That means if you were to start out and you were to attempt to circle the earth, and you were to run or swim, either one, go swim halfway there. If you were to run or swim an average of four-minute mile, it would take you over four months to circle the earth if you were to take on that, if you were to take on that position. The earth, the 25,000 circumference sphere that we have, if the sun, say this, if the sun... We're hollow. It could hold 1,300,000 earths if the sun were hollow. There's a star in our system called Antares. And if that star were hollow, it could hold 64 million suns. In the constellation of Hercules, there is a star that can hold a hundred million suns. There is, I'm sorry, one million Antares. They're the largest star that we have seen on our great big um, telescopes is the star Epsilon, where the computer gets its name, Epsilon. And if this star were hollow, it could hold seven million Hercules stars. How incredible is that? Allowing this Bible to be the thickness of a dictionary, the dictionary holds 80,000 words. Richard, if you were to stack these dictionaries and you were to let them represent how many stars that we have determined, we have determined that there are 142 sextillion stars in the, in the universe. How many stars is that? If this dictionary represents 80,000 stars, if we were to stack these dictionaries, are you ready for this? 
80 quadrillion miles high, that would represent how many stars there are that we can actually see and determine. God told Abraham, I'll let your seed be as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And what a prophecy, what a testimony, what a promise that God made him. Psalm 147 and 14 says, He telleth the stars by name. He calleth the number of the stars. Every star, is that crazy? However many sextillion, quadrillion, billion, zillion, whatever your biggest, whatever your big, to infinity and beyond, God has a name for every single star. How crazy is that? When we, when we think about how great we are and how awesome we are and we hand out tracts and trophies for those that have accomplished great, phenomenal things to show you in perspective how big you really are, where I stand right now to the sun is 93 million miles. That's how far the sun is from here. If I were to allow this sheet of paper, one sheet, to represent 93 million miles, and I were to tell you the distance of where I stand to the nearest star in our universe, you would have to stack this, each sheet representing 93, you'd have to stack this, 80, let me make sure I get it right, 310 miles high. Each sheet representing 93 million miles. That's the farthest that we can see. And there is a new telescope that has determined that there are other stars out there, and they have now determined if we were to represent this right here, we would have to stack this, Katie, 31 million miles high, each sheet representing. And we sing that song, How Big Is God? How great and vast his domain. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe. Say it with me, yet small enough to live in my heart. Again, if God is dead, then who's this living? Who motivated me this morning in the worship? Who motivated me in the testimony? Who who motivated me? Who was that that touched my heart and spirit that has everything under control? Aren't you glad that God has everything under control? I, re- I remember there was a um, scientist on the Johnny Carson show. Well, wow, that's a blast from the past, yay. Crazy. And this scientist was an atheist, agnostic, and he was telling Johnny Carson how that Jesus could not be who he was and did what he said he would do because when Jesus died and went to heaven that that night, then came back, that Jesus could not, traveling 100,000 miles per second, he could not in 100,000 years get to heaven and back. So he was trying to go through the scientific theorem of why Jesus could not be who he said he was. Well, let me talk about that scientist just for a minute, if I may. I see this scientist with a $400 suit, $100 pair of shoes, going home in a $91,000 car. He parks into his $400,000 mansion, goes inside, sits down with his wife, and children, and eats a $50 meal. And then that man goes to bed that night, puts on his $100 silk pajamas and his nice fur-lined sandals, and in the middle of the night, he dies. And then they cover that man with the very thing that he was made of, dirt. 
Scientists have taken all of the elements in our body, all the minerals, all, all the protein, everything, and they placed a numeric value that you and I today are worth about $14. So that $14 man kisses $14 wife, says hello to his $7.50 children, lives in a mansion, drives, drives, a, drives a Beamer, has everything that they can have, but when he dies, he's buried with the one thing that he was made of, and that was dirt. In Job 36, Job began to question God, and God began to talk of his greatness, and God began to talk of his awesomeness, and then we have that there are theologians that try to describe away the miracles of the Bible, and one of those miracles where it said that the house of God, the family of God, passed through the Red Sea, and, and they walked to the other side, and the, the scientists claimed that there was a misspelling. That's not the Red Sea, it's the Reed Sea, and the Reed Sea was only two or three foot deep, and so I ponder if the Reed Sea was only two or three foot deep, then how did Pharaoh and his entire army drown in two foot of water? Do I have a friend in the house? There was a scientist that tried to explain away the miracles, the five loaves, the two fishes. He said, well, the, the reason that the five loaves and two fishes fed the crowd is that the loaves were bigger in those days. Go there with me for a minute. Becky, you've got a 12-year-old boy dragging a piece of bread. 400 foot long. He's got him a catfish, two catfish that weigh 1,800 pounds apiece. That still would not feed 5,000 men plus the women and the children. He is awesome. He is phenomenal. He is a God that can turn a whale into a motel to make accommodations for an evangelist. He's a God that can put a drugstore slingshot in the hand of a 16-year-old boy to kill a 13-foot giant. He's a God that can put an air conditioning unit in a fiery furnace. He can make a lion's mane a pillow for a prophet. He can put a, rede a redeemer on the cross and, and redeem mankind, and he is coming back for you and me. My, in, my, in my conclusion today, and I got it right here, how big is God? I answered it. He's big enough. I conclude with this thought. So many times we will tell God about our problem. And there's really nothing wrong with that. But if we flip it around and we told our problem about God, that would be the offense that God would want us to step out on, and that's the attitude that God would want us to take. Hebrews 11.3 says this, and as we talk about the awesomeness of God and all the stars and all the constellations, Hebrews 13.3 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I like that word diligence. If you are a, a deer hunter or you're a bass fisherman, you know all about seeking things out. You know, if you're a shopper, you know all about diligently seeking things out. If you're going to buy a car, you know all about diligently seek, seeking things out. And Ron's telling Becky, you're the shopper. And Becky knows how to diligently seek things out. And it is a, it is a goal. It is a, it is a cornerstone of life that we seek him. Because I promise you that God is not playing hide and seek. God says, when you seek me, you shall find me. Finish it for me. But you shall search with me for all of your heart. Can we pray? God, the miracle of childbirth this morning just proves how awesome you are. 
the miracle of those that have been pronounced dead, a death sentence, but now are alive and healed, represents how great and phenomenal you are. God, those that you've changed our lives, you've changed our confusion, you've changed our mistakes, give us another opportunity to live, shows how great and awesome you are. God, our Hope House crew that are ministering today, those that have been delivered and set free, and those that are pursuing you, you've shown them how great and awesome you are. You bring our kids back that we lost. You heal marriages that have been destroyed. You renew finances. You, you help us either remove or climb the mountains that are placed in our life. And for that, we are eternally grateful, and we love you, and we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. Well, I hope this morning you have grasped just a little bit how great, how awesome your God is. I hope these illustrations have blessed you and encouraged you as we...